Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. If anyone in our audience thinks that their job is tough, today's episode will leave them shocked. With us today is American TV producer Natasha Lance Rogoff on The Definitive Rap to discuss her memoir, Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia, which Roman and Littlefield published recently. It chronicles Natasha's experience producing a Russian version of Sesame Street in post-Soviet Union Russia. In the process, Natasha, who is Jewish, and her colleagues faced the assassinations of their broadcast partners, a car bombing, and the takeover of the show's production office by Russian soldiers with AK-47s. The book captures the occurrences of a disagreement creating a fun educational children's television show against the violent backdrop of 1990s Moscow. It also relays the cultural clashes that threaten to derail Natasha's efforts to bring the Muppets and their idealistic values to millions of children across the former Soviet Union, including Ukraine. As one of the people on Natasha's team put it, you are tasking us with developing this curriculum to help kids learn the skills they need for an open society. But how can we do it if we haven't lived in an open society? This show is off the air now, but it's like a legacy that remains. We see it in the Russians walking out of Russia because they oppose Putin's war and they do not want to fight. And we see it on the Ukrainian side, the same age cohort fighting for their freedom. Since its release, the book has been covered in the Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, Vulture, and on MSNBC's Morning Joe, among others. Natasha Lance Rogoff is an award-winning American television producer, filmmaker, and journalist who has produced television news and documentaries in Russia, Ukraine, and the former Soviet Union for CBS, NBC, ABC, and PBS. Um, Lance Rogoff executive produced uh, the Russian adaptation of Sesame Street between 1993 and 1997, and uh, she also produced uh, in Mexico as well, the Plaza Sesamo, and I'm probably not pronouncing it well because I don't speak Spanish in Mexico. Plaza You'll Sesamo. correct me on that yeah. one. In addition to her television work, Lance Rogoff has reported on Soviet underground culture as a documentary director, a magazine, and newspaper writer for major international media outlets. Today, she produces content for television and digital platforms and is the CEO and founder of an edtech company. Uh, she's also an associate fellow in Harvard University's Art, Film, and Visual Studies Department and divides her time between Cambridge, Massachusetts, and New York City. Natasha, this was a very long narrative, but not enough can be said about your talent and your work. It gives me tremendous pleasure to welcome you to the Definitive Rap. Thank you so much for having me. Very, of very overly flattering. <laughs> uh, it's, it is I who is flattered. Um, 
Natasha, Muppets in Moscow is uh, Sesame Street for Russian audiences. Tell us a bit about what you envisioned for this production before things went crazy. How did it come about? It came about in a completely random way. I mean, I was a documentary film producer and before Sesame Street's executives approached me, I'd been working in in what was then the Soviet Union for about 10 years. Oh, so they um, approached you with this idea. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, oh, no, this okay. wasn't my idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was. I, I. I mean, I am absolutely thrilled. I uh, was part of it. It was an incredible gift in my life. But at the same time, uh, not something I, you know, would have thought of myself. I was not a children's television producer. Uh, I didn't have children at the time, and um, uh, you know, just just I was making very serious films for PBS television, uh, for uh, Frontline. Um, documentaries that, you know, where I would embed with um, uh, communist fascists and uh, they were uh, sometimes very scary and certainly anti-Semitic. So I was making films like that. And um, at the screening of the last film I made um, uh, before I worked for Sesame Street, these two executives came up. They were very charming they had just watched this the film I, I had directed. And then they asked me if I could help them bring Sesame Street to Russia. What was then just uh, about a year after the collapse of the Soviet empire. It was 1992, late 1992, nine, early 93, something like that. And um, anyway, I, I was really surprised because I thought, look, you just watched my film. Um, it's as far from the Muppets as could be. Right. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, I went, they asked me to come down to their office and I was really intrigued. I mean, I thought, wow, you know, this could have an incredible impact. And because right. the Soviet Union had been, um, the, you know, it was breaking apart and all the republics were becoming independent countries like yeah. Ukraine and Armenia. But yeah. the idea was that the central television station, w- which was still broadcasting across 11 time zones, you know, would be able to um, bring the Muppets to Moscow and then the Muppets would be able to model idealistic values like tolerance, freedom of expression, and also provide, uh, you know, millions of children skills that they would need to thrive in a post-communist society, Mm -hmm. you know, like taking the initiative and um, learning how to live with um, taking a lot of risks. Um, You know, everything that is part of uh, a more, a less centralized type of uh, government system Mm -hmm. and uh, one where, uh, you know, you did not have um, uh, ideology dominating the children's education. So why do you think they wanted uh, a a show of this nature produced? Well, I think the, uh, the, uh, the, at this time it was very difficult for, um, for Soviet citizens, the ruble was collapsing at the time. Um, And there was, as you said earlier, you know, quite a bit of violence. Um, It was a real, it was a period of real chaos. And, you know, even today, Putin uses this period, the 1990s, 
um, as justification for his uh, increased authoritarianism. And in some ways, uh, this period was very chaotic, for, especially for average Soviet citizens, post-Soviet citizens. Um, so there was very little production, television production for children going on at this time, mm. or or very little production in general. That most mm. of the film studios were black; they were not making films, and um, you know we had some funding from the U.S. government which uh, then Senator um, Biden had spearheaded with bipartisan support Uh to make a Russian version of Sesame Street. And we had to raise the funding from uh, the Russian government and from um, sponsors at that time because it had to be a 50-50 split on the costs. Um, And the, the Ministry of Education in Russia uh, actually came to the United States and the uh, the deputy minister of education, Elena Lenskaya, and she spoke uh, before the Senate subcommittee for uh, foreign affairs. So that was incredible. And, you know, I write about this in the book too, because she, she really uh, thought that Sesame Street could make a difference. So this combined effort with America and uh, Russian educators is how this idea gave, you know came came to be or was born. Right. Uh, what was the most difficult part of this assignment for you? I mean, what difficulties did you face working in Russia that uh, that could have been unique to to that country? Well, I I have to say the the I, the the violence was not what I expected in making <laughs> well, of a course children's not, not, puppet not when show. Producing a, a show, a Sesame Street type of show, violence is the last thing you would. Yeah, expect. I mean, I I was I had seen a bit of that, you know, doing documentary films yeah. um, earlier, but I I thought it was going to be very different, uh, you know, doing a children's show and especially a comedy show. Um, right. But yeah, I mean- but. I mean, who, yeah, who would think but, this can get dangerous? You know, assassinations. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know. Yeah, but it was so that. But you know, so those were difficult in the beginning when we had, um, you know, our first sponsor, which uh, was a, a major media mogul who we had been trying to reach for months, and we finally were able to get a meeting with him and uh, discussed Sesame Street and. He he wanted to know if Big Bird was going to be in the show. We explained that we were going to make three new uh, Slavic-style Muppets based on Russian folklore and oh, wow. uh, Russian values and build an entire new neighborhood that reflected, oh uh, you know, Russian um, and post-Soviet aesthetics. Yes. Um, so he, he, uh, he was intrigued and he said... Um, you know, we did not expect this meeting to go as well as it did. And by the end of it, he said, you know, basically that that he was in. Mm-hmm. So we were thrilled. You know, right. this this is not, you know, you, it, things don't often go better than you <laughs> expected in Russia. Yes. And and so, um, you know, I went back to the States to share the good news with my uh, superiors at Sesame Workshop, then Children's Television Workshop, which is a nonprofit. And, um, you know, it was I was just thrilled. I thought, oh, my God, now we're going to be able to do, you know, the show. We'll be able to produce the show. Right. And then I got a phone call from my business partner that I was working with there, a very good uh, Russian friend of mine, uh, Leonid Zagalsky. 
And uh, he he was, you know, breathing really heavily on the phone. And he said, something's terrible has happened. And uh, Berezovsky was in a, a car bombing. So his, his car w- uh, exploded. Right. He survived. His um, driver was decapitated. And, um, he, he left, he had, uh, burns on his, um, uh, hands and body and he had to be treated. He actually left the country and, um, that was, that was, uh, you know, he lived, he, he was fine, but, but when he returned to Russia some months later, you know, he was no longer interested in right. our puppet show. I mean, he had bigger, bigger issues to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Natasha, why did this get so dangerous? I mean, who would think that the Muppets on Sesame Street can ever get dangerous? I, I don't think that it was actually directly related to our show at any point. I think we were we found ourselves in the crosshairs of various battles that were ongoing at that time to either control the TV station, to oh. control the revenue from advertising, um, there was some opposition to the program, uh, um, that was also, you know, published in the press that I write about. Uh, but in general, um, our, the team we were working with, and there was enormous excitement about the prospect of, you know, uh, producing their own Sesame Street show, you know, based on their own culture. Right. Natasha, was there ever a point where you said to yourself, I shouldn't be doing this? I'm, did that ever cross your mind? Uh, very often, <laughs> very often. And my boyfriend at the time was constantly suggesting, maybe you're, maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> I mean, there were so many times when we just, when things happened, not just the Berezovsky uh, bombing, but when our other broadcast partner was was murdered, he was assassinated and he was an incredibly great man who, you know, probably could have changed Russia for the better and had done a great deal to bring press freedom to Russia. It was with Vlad Lysyev. And then, you know, uh, the second person that we did the broadcast deal with after him, he was also murdered. So there were many uh, periods um, as well as, uh, I would say in the beginning, enormous cultural clashes that, you know, pitted Sesame Street's progressive values against 300 years of Russian thought. Yeah. And it was very, there were, there were moments when there, it was very difficult, but at the same time, I was working with an incredible team of people. I mean, we had the, um, top, uh, directors from the film industry, from theater, uh, animators from Georgia who were wow. incredibly talented. And, you know, it was like bringing all these people together with this, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of like, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. they, they were all so willing to, um, you know, make so many sacrifices of their time, of their, just the, this, the hours that we were, working too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was, they, they envisioned a different kind of Russia and they thought, well, if we can do this and we can deliver this to millions of children, then we can change the country and other countries, the new independent countries, you know, first on the little screen and then 
you know, in real life, hopefully. Right, right. So if I was going to leave, what would that do, you know, to my team? We were uh-huh. having so many difficulties already. Right. Um, you know, it, it just, it really, I never felt like I could leave and feel, uh, feel comfortable with that decision in the long right. run. Right. I hear that. What's mind boggling is that not only was a TV station taken over, but the station froze your bank account. How did you end up running a production of what I read was over 200 people? How did you do that without money? Well, would you remember when I was talking about the people who were making sacrifices? (laughs) Many, many of these uh, of our colleagues worked for some months without getting paid. In other words, they had the promise and they agreed to this. And it wasn't like I was, you know, trying to scam them or something. No, I mean, no, we really, we met, we met and we said, look, this is the situation. You know, we're going to have to shut it down because we don't have the the money to pay you. And, um, you know, what do you want to do? And, you know, down to the last man, every person said, no, we we trust you you know, we will, you will make this work for us in the end. And what we're doing is too important for the country, you know, for us to just walk away. So, so, you know, and there were no Western banks when we first started at all Mm -hmm. in the country. So it was very difficult. Um, And um, our partner didn't have, um, complete control because it's very complicated, but basically uh, there was no rule of law in Russia at this time. There was no constitution so that the tax police could do whatever they wanted. So it was like and the wild West. It was, it was just very much like that. And I have to say, you know, it is to the credit of the, the team and uh, you know, what they were willing to bear that we actually succeeded. Wow. So I read that your backer who was going to come up with a million dollars for the show, um, unfortunately, was blown up in his car. And so, you know, while he had survived the assassination attempt, you lost your funding. The second assassination attempt of one of your supporters is a man who was going to air your show on Russia's largest TV station. He was successful. Um but why was he murdered? You know, Bela, there are 120 um, judicial files on this case. And to this day, they have not solved his murder. So they haven't found the murderer? No. And, and nobody knows who blew up Berezovsky's car either. And nobody knows who killed Oleg Slavienko. <laughs> what? Is there a motive? Well, you know, there were a lot of rumors at that time, and um, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Vladislav was murdered, uh, you know, less than a month after he had declared a moratorium on advertising at the TV station. And there were a lot of middlemen involved. I mean, advertising hadn't really existed until 1991 until after the Soviet Union collapsed, unless you can consider, you know, ads for the great proletariat or, um, you know, um, little short clips on um, tractor driving. 
you know, to be advertisements, but basically formal, formal advertising of consumer products really didn't start till much later. And it was a very unregulated market. A lot of people were making a lot of money. And when Vlad um, declared this moratorium on the sale of advertising for the TV station, there were a number of people that were going to lose money. So, you know, that's, that was generally what people thought at the time, you know, was, was the reason, but there could be any number of reasons why. I mean, he was also a very brave man who didn't shy away from, um, you know, asking uh, people in power controversial questions as part of his effort to stamp out corruption and, uh, oh, that's you it. know, expose all kinds of things. People like that get themselves killed. Sadly, the case. Horrible. Uh, shortly after the assassination, you delivered a report on your progress and what was happening to your boss who responded, this production is so ill-conceived that should it go south, the reputational damage to the workshop and the Sesame brand could be catastrophic. How did you convince them to let you stay? There, you know, as in any corporation, um, I believe in my limited experience working in corporations that there's, there's always a lobby, you know, group that is in favor and those opposed to whatever is going on. And, I was very fortunate that I had the most amazing boss, um, Baxter Urist, who championed the project and wow. Gary Nell. didn't take Nell, that much convincing. Yeah, he was amazing. And, and also Gary Nell, um, who, uh, is the, uh, person who hired me, uh, in that first meeting at the, um, at the, at my, at the screening of my film. And, um, there were many others, you know, in our, on our team who, uh, without their advocacy, it would have been shut down because there, just as you said, there was numerous opposition. And the person that you're describing was actually my boss, my initial boss. And, um, eventually I had to ask not to report to that person. Oh. Uh, because I just said, you know, this is he, I just felt like it, it's, I can't do my job and, um, you know, so have they this kind of request? opposition. Yes, did they and I had requests? Yeah, yeah, if they did. Yes, they yeah. did. <laughs> and I got to switch bosses and uh I think it saved the project, yeah. Uh-huh. So what I would like to know and 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 I and I'm sure our audience would want to know too. How did the Russian children react to the show? Well, that was utterly um amazing the first time I saw I mean, that's the, the most important question I think, you know. It is. No, is it is the most for, important question. This was a question. show for children. So what was their reaction? Well, they um we had a premiere uh you know the the night that that um we had a, a, a sort of a you know celebration with a lot of the foreign press and the um the uh Russian press and then people from the new independent countries that came to cover the premiere of the show. Right. And we're all in this theater together. There are about 600 people. And there's so many people that the children are all sitting in the front of the stage because there's not enough seats for everybody. Wow. And when the uh, full body puppet, uh, Zeli Boba, who is a, uh, a blue tree spirit, 
who's based on a Russian folklore character named Domovoy. So he comes out and he looks kind of like a, a hound. He's like an enormous hound-like creature <laughs> with a big nose and um, giant white sneakers. Wow. And the kids just start screaming. And, you know, this isn't, uh, this is unusual in Russia because usually there's the audiences are much more subdued, including children, right. but it was just bedlam. You know, it was just mm-hmm. like absolutely exciting. Wow. And, and every time he, he would go, he would leave the stage. And then when he came, came back, it was like that. So, um, you know, that was, that was very exciting to see. And uh, the show immediately became a huge hit uh, across uh, 11 time zones. And it ran for 10 years, you know, well into Putin's era. Um, You know, it's it's incredible. It's just incredible. And when I meet people today in the U.S. or in in Moscow, I was back in January of 2020 before Mm -hmm. the pandemic hit. You know, I meet young people who grew up on the show and there's nothing like that feeling. You know, I'd say to them always, you know, kind of like, well, is there any, do you, did you have any, do you remember Ulitsa Sazam, you know, which means Sesame Street in Russian. Yes. And they'll usually be like, yes, of course we love Ulitsa oh. Sazam. We grew up on the show. Yes, so it, of course it's it was very part much, of their childhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, 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 you know, as it is with many American children. So Oh, I remember uh, Sesame Street. It was an important part of my youth. Uh, yeah. Yes. It's a huge, 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 huge uh, part of American history now. Yeah. And present. When did you decide to write your memoir? Did you think that could cause dangerous backlash? I started, I mean, I had written quite a bit at the time of, uh, at, right after that we aired the show. But that's when you decided and- to write your memoir. I well, I, I decided to write about the story. I don't think okay. I was thinking it was a memoir. I think I was just writing about the making of Sesame Street because okay. I thought it was a remarkable story. And um, so immediately after that, I started writing. Um, but I put the book down. Uh, I had two children. And, um, you know, it took me until, you know, close to 30 years later to <laughs> return to it. Wow. And actually, you know, spend two years, a large part of it was during the, the, the pandemic. Right. And uh, finally sitting down to write it. You know, I, I, it was on my mind for 30 years. I wanted right. to write this story. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but otherwise, you know, I don't think I would have been able to have such detail and such level of dialogue. Right. And then I also had, you know, boxes and boxes of, memos, reports, uh, all kinds of things, journals, um, videotapes uh, that Mm. had been shot at the time of the production, all the interviews, you know, which were transcribed. Right. So I had an enormous amount of, you know, what you would call primary source material to write this. Wow. And um, did you think that could cause any kind of backlash? Well, um. When you say backlash, do you mean if I go back to Russia or do you yeah, mean Yeah, if you go what back to Russia mean? or even even where you're living right now. Um I I think that uh you know, if you if you think 
as people don't understand how difficult it is to speak out and protest uh, in Russia today, that if you have a family and you have to feed your children, um, you can't afford to take certain risks that might put you in prison for 15 years. Yeah. And I feel it's really important for people to understand that, um, you know, we, we live in a, you know, freer society. I'm not saying that everything is great here. We have a lot of issues we have to deal with. We have racism, we have inequality, we yeah. have sexism, we have all kinds of things. Yeah. But it is still a very different situation in Russia today. Um, so on that, on that note, I think, uh, you know, um, certainly, uh, writing about it today, I wouldn't go back to Russia. I mean, mm -hmm. and I, there's a postscript in the book that, you know, is not at all favorable of wow. the current leadership. So the answer is no, I wouldn't go back to Russia right now. Um, but then again, when you talk about backlash in the U S you know, people, there has been some coverage of people being, you know, anti-Russian because obviously what the regime is doing is horrific in the Ukraine. Yes. And, um, you know, I'm speaking about a period of time in the 1990s about Russians and the group of people who struggled even at that time. Uh, against the kind of authoritarianism that only got worse, you know, with time. So, you know, the, the, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right to look at, um, all Russians and say, oh, they're just, you know, they're all criminals, which right. is kind of yeah. what, you know, what you see on Amazon and Netflix, every single show, the Russians are, you know, thugs, criminals, prostitutes, uh, you know, and you don't see the kinds of people that I worked with who are, um, you know, incredibly passionate, artistic, kind people who were um, trying to change their country for the better. So what would you like most for people to understand about the Russian people and their country? I think that it's very important for us in the West to, uh, to look at Russia and other countries, not expecting them to mirror our own, that when we expect change or we are hoping for greater openness, that it may look different in the different countries. It's not going to be the same. We don't have the same history. They did not have 200 years of democracy. Yeah, yeah. I think also I, I would say that um, I hope what people take away from this is a um, an understanding of the country and the culture and a sense of hope that change is possible. Because that type of change happened before and wars end, all wars end, and this war will end too. And when it does, we have to be ready with programs like Sesame Street that can help nations uh, transition to more open societies.
Where can people get a hold of Muppets in Moscow, the unexpected crazy true story of making Sesame Street in Russia? Best place is on Amazon. (laughs) You can also check your indie bookstores and ask them to order it if they don't have it. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I you can just reach me on my website, and it's just my name, NatashaLanceRogoff.com. Hey, great. Natasha, thank you for joining us today. Good luck to you. Most importantly, stay safe. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. And <laughs> Likewise. Um, uh, your, your time here is very precious to us. Thank really you to Really appreciate it. Thank you to Ben News and to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.